Well, we are going to go through the scriptures here and find four priorities in these last few verses. But before we uh, do that and go through this passage, I want to invite uh, Josh and his dad, Isaac, to come on up this morning. And I've been kind of looking forward to this. Josh, I haven't even said hi to you yet today, but yeah. hi, how are you? Fine. Well, it's really good to see you. Yeah. I'm up here. Can you look at me? There you go. Hi there. Yeah. Hi there. Or hey. I could come down there. So, yeah, the, that's funny. so the reason I I asked you and your dad uh, to come up here today. I already today, know. You already know why? Yeah. I know, but they don't know why you're up here. So I'm kind of asking you a question so I can tell them uh -huh. something. It's kind of a weird thing to do, but that's kind of what I'm doing. So, so like, you want to tell them? Yep. Okay, go ahead and just yeah. tell them. So, like, um, telling what it's like, like doing the journables. The journables, yes. So the reason that Josh is up here is his family, including him. That's your journal. Thanks for holding it up high so everybody can see it. So I know you're homeschooled, right? Mm -hmm. And you're learning to actually write. Is that correct? Yeah. Like um, to write with a pen or a pencil. Yeah. There also is something new. I'm already six. You're already six. Yeah. Well, let's give him a round of applause for being six. Congratulations for being six. So back in January, when, when our church family started doing this, um, I, I heard that you were actually copying out passages of First Thessalonians into the journal and learning how to write. And it's just tell me how that went. Tell, tell the congregation, not me. Tell them how it went and if you liked it, if it was hard, how it was. Like, it's hard to remember, but I, like, a lot of work. It was a lot of work. Yep. You know, I had a similar experience. I wasn't learning to write, but I don't write very much, and it felt like a lot of work. My hand muscles weren't used to doing that. So did your hand muscles get tired, or was it your brain muscles? Maybe both. 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 Yeah, for me, it was my hand muscles, not so much my brain muscles. Um, Mrs. Ernst might debate with that, whether my brain muscles yeah. are working well or not. But anyway. How about that? How about that? Yeah. How about that? Well... I'm just very encouraged that not only did your mother and, and father and, and your family do this, but you yep. did this, and it's just very, very cool. And so thanks for, for sharing yeah. that. Anything else you wanted to say? Uh, You're going to go into Sunday school in a minute? Yeah, okay. I do. Okay. Isaac, do you have anything to share? Just I, I was just really encouraged to hear that um, not only were you and Emily doing this, but but it was, you know, we, we didn't anticipate this being a, a learning thing in a homeschool environment, learning someone to, to write. But what a great thing that I'm praying is going to stay with you, Josh, that part of his learning to write was writing out the scriptures, writing out the Bible. Yeah, he was very excited when they were passing out the journables, and uh, when he didn't get a chance to get one the first week, he was very, very sad. And so we worked with him, and we said, okay, Josh, if you will invest a dollar of your money to buy a journable, that we'll invest the rest of the money in there. And so he invested and then spent some time uh, working on it and kind of practicing his writing uh, with it, and it was really kind of uh, uh, fun to see. Uh, and it's actually also been good for me as well, just because um, I'm somebody that has trouble writing in books. So you know how they always say, you know, take notes and write in your books and whatnot. That, you know, my mom did not raise me that way. It's very difficult for me to do that. It always feels somehow wrong to do that. Um, but being able to have a dedicated 
journal, basically, to not only write out the scriptures, but then to be able to write out uh, either notes that you're taking during a sermon or uh, just general thoughts and whatnot. You can, it, it doesn't feel as wrong to take notes, I guess, <laughs> in the journal. So that's been a, a fun thing for me as well. All right. Thank you guys for coming up here. Let's give them a round of applause. Thanks, Josh, for being up here. Yeah. Have a great time in Sunday school, okay? All right, it's feeling like family this morning. Um, all right, back to the scriptures. And we have just a few verses left at the very end of the book of First Thessalonians. And we are going to see four priorities um, in this passage. I've got five points, but one of them is a, a negative point. Uh, so four priorities are four things that the Lord is emphasizing in these last few verses, just verses 25 through 28. So I want to begin just taking a look at verse 25, where Paul says there, brothers, pray for us. Brothers, pray for us. Very simple verse, just a few words, but I want, uh, again, not to just hurry past this verse. We are used to the apostle Paul praying for the people in the churches that he's writing to. A lot of the book of 1 Thessalonians and a lot of all of his epistles are Paul expressing his prayers. And those prayers are really helpful prayers to help you and me learn how to pray. But here we have the apostle Paul asking this new church plant to pray for him. And not just him, but for Silas and Timothy as well, their ministry team. So verse 25 is essentially saying, hey, church in Thessalonica, this new young church that is having widespread influence, pray for us. Pray for us. The apostle Paul needs to be prayed for. How much more do I need to be prayed for? How much more do you need to be prayed for? I just think it is a beautiful thing that recorded in scripture here is Paul saying, pray for us, this young church team. Pray for the apostle Paul who had this incredible experience chosen by God on the road to Damascus to be the missionary to the Gentiles. He's got this title apostle in front of his name, but he values the prayer of this young church plant in Thessalonica. So this is the first of, of four things that I want us to see in today's passage that the Lord prioritizes. He prioritizes prayer and he prioritizes the prayers of these people. Paul does and God does by inspiring this text. He prioritizes the people of these new believers in this young church in Thessalonica. So when we think about prayer and we think about who has the Lord reigning in their lives and their prayers are effective and their prayers are valuable. We ought not just to think about people who have a title in front of their name like apostle or someone who's a missionary, but we should think about those for whom the kingdom of heaven is ruling in their hearts and minds. And if we go back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 in verse 3, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the people that have God reigning in their hearts, the people whose prayers I'm I'm jumping over to prayer here that are going to be helpful are those who are desperate, those who are poor in spirit, meaning they know they're spiritually bankrupt themselves. The Thessalonians had learned that lesson. 
And so Paul is valuing their prayers, not because they have walking with the Lord for so long, not because they have some incredible educational pedigree, not because they have these titles in their name, but because these are people who recognize in and of themselves they are desperate and in their own strength, they are not going to find anything, but being poor in spirit, that's in whom God's kingdom reigns. That is in whom God is very powerful. And so Paul concludes asking to be prayed for. And that's part of why I wanted to take time this morning to pray for the Talbots. And just prayer needs to go every single direction. Uh, As the world is just in this uncertain place right now, we need to be praying for each other regularly. We need to be communicating with each other. And the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Silas are in that same category. So that's uh, the first thing that I want to see Uh, The first of four uh, priorities in these just short verses that we're looking at. Let's come back to the text here and look look at verse 26. I've already uh, alluded to verse 26. It says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Unlike Isaac, I am very comfortable writing in my Bible and circling in my Bible. Any of you out there uh, with me? So I've got circled in my Bible, greet and holy. Greet and holy. At the very end of his letter, Paul is saying, greet all the brothers, meaning all of the Christians in Thessalonica, with a holy kiss. This is a holy kiss, meaning we are interacting with those who are holy because of their faith in Jesus. This isn't some, the the kiss, if you watch their, their kissing when they greeted, it wasn't different than other people's kisses. But what's different about the kiss is the relationship and the worldview of those who are kissing. And Paul is simply saying, greet one another. This is important. And he says this a bunch throughout the New Testament. So this isn't just a perfunctory thing that he added on to this passage, to this book, to these people. But he says it multiple times in the book of Romans, in 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians. Again, what I am emphasizing here and what I believe we are to take away 2,000 years from this, uh, 2,000 years removed from this, is the importance of our fellowship, of our greeting, of our being in community together. I, I don't know about you, but I was especially, I love every Sunday, I love gathering every Sunday, but I was especially I am and was especially enthusiastic about gathering this day when so many aren't gathering. Now, I'm not trying to put anything on anyone, people who are at risk and shouldn't be here today. That's good and that's right. But I'm just sharing with you, I was very excited to come together and to gather today. And part of that, I think, is the spirit of the importance of fellowship and community and being together. And that's why Paul is emphasizing the greeting. And that the greeting is holy. One commentator writes this. He says, this was not a kiss of respect as was used in ancient times to honor men of authority. Neither was it cultic as though copied from an ancient mystery religion. It most closely parallels the use of a kiss among members of the same family as a token of their close relationship. Christians have come into the family of God, which knows even closer ties than those of any human family. The, this, this, this kiss in the first century among believers is most similar to the way even today that you and I would kiss family members. You know, I, I kiss my daughter's head at night when she lets me. Sometimes she doesn't really want me to do that as they get older. You know what I'm talking about? 
Um, when they're little, boy, you just do that all the time. But as they go through their teen years, it's not so um, cool sometimes to have daddy kiss you. But I kiss my daughter on the head because of our closeness, because of our intimacy, because I love her. And, and what this commentator is saying is that's kind of what is being described here among the people of God, that there is a closeness. And so our greetings are holy, and it's just a reminder to greet one another in those ways. We see the special relationships within the Christian family in Matthew chapter 12, where someone comes up to Jesus and says to him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to speak to you. Literally, his mother, Mary, and his brothers, they're outside. He replied to him, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, pointing to his community of faith, Pointing to the 12, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus goes out of his way to show the incredible intimacy that occurs among the relationships of believers. And so our relationships are holy. They're different. They're separate. We have great relationships with our neighbors who are not Christians. We have great relationships with our coworkers who aren't Christians. But we have a special, sacred, holy relationship with those whose lives are submitted to the Lord Jesus and are all for and about him. So again, the emphasis here is on community. It's on greeting. It's on, it's on the fellowship that we have uh, together. So the second uh, thing I want to say out of verse 26 um, is, is a negative thing. So the second point is that God prioritizes mutual love, greetings, and community among his people. The emphasis in verse 26 is not on the physicality or on the form of this greeting on the kiss. And that's my third point. God does not prioritize the form of greetings. So we don't really practice this anymore kissing one another as, as we greet. And that's okay. And this may seem like something superfluous to talk about, but it actually relates to how we interpret the scriptures. So I want to spend a little bit of time on this, a shorter sermon today, but I want to just hit this. God does not prioritize the form of greetings. One commentator writes this. He says, like some other practices with symbolic meanings that change from culture to culture, such as foot washing or head covering for wives, a holy kiss would not convey the same meaning today that it did in the first century. And in most cultures, it would be seriously misunderstood. Such commands are best obeyed by substituting an action such as a handshake or a hug or bow, varying by culture, that would convey the same meaning in a modern culture. So this commentator who's saying, um, in most cultures, it would be seriously misunderstood. Now, for those of you that maybe are new to Cornerstone, you may not know that we have an informal fellowship hall. It's called Taco Tree, right, right down the way here, right? How many, I, if you haven't been there, like many of you I've seen over the years, over the months, at, at Taco Tree after the worship service. And for elder meetings, sometimes we're pushing or we don't have dinner with family or we're coming from work or whatever. And so we kind of have an informal 
practice, a lot of us, of gathering at Taco Tree before we come to an elder meeting. So Keith, I'm going to pick on you, one of our elders. Keith, can you just put your hand up? Everybody say hi. So let's just say we're showing up at Taco Tree, and in the parking lot, I go and give Keith a holy kiss. And people are watching. What's going on? Right? So not only would I be really uncomfortable with that, I'd have a sore eye. (laughs) Keith wouldn't let me kiss him. What we would be doing is we would be taking a first century cultural thing and artificially trying to to live out this this brotherhood that Keith and I already have. And and whether we shake hands or whether we, hey, how was your day at work? How was your day? That's more how we greet. But our relationship is special when we see each other, when we show up at Taco Tree or here on Sunday morning or whatever it is. We we are living out verse 26, whether we we kiss or not, we have this, this, which we're not going to do. Whether we shake hands or not, which we're not doing this morning, which is something we would regularly do. Whether we hug or not, which is not something we're doing this morning. But we have this love and this affection for one another in our relationships. And so we don't ignore this verse, but the emphasis is not on the kiss. It wouldn't convey the same meaning. So we can't throw out what God is trying to get us to do, which here is about our relationship and our love and our greetings and our community. We can't throw that out, but the actual form and the way that goes on may change. Now, again, coming off of this commentator's words, let me just mention a couple other things since it's up here and he's talking about it, and it seems like it would be good. I mean, to, to, to comment on, he mentions foot washing, which is what Jesus does right before he's headed to the cross in John's gospel. He, he's in that upper room with his disciples, and he washes their feet. He describes it as the most excellent way, and he says, this is what I want you to do. This is the part of the new commandment I want you to do. And I think it is just as wrong, just as it would be artificial and wrong, and I'd end up with a black guy trying to kiss Keith at Taco Tree to wash his feet, whether it's here or there, would be a similar kind of thing. It's artificial, that form, that specific physical action. So we have to draw a bigger picture, a bigger circle around that when we're interpreting the scriptures and say, what is Jesus getting at when he washes the disciples' feet? What he's saying is though, even though I am the creator of the universe, even though I was there in the beginning when the world was created, even though I'm about to die as the lamb of God for the sins of the world and be raised on the third day, I am a servant and I want you to serve each other in low ways. That is the takeaway from that passage. Not that we need to wash each other's feet. That's not something that we do in our culture to, to show honor, to respect, to, uh, it's not something that we do. And so a similar thing here is the head coverings. This is a very controversial issue. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but in 1 Corinthians 11, the passage speaks about women having their heads covered. Now, we don't know exactly what the head covering represented in Corinth. Scholars debate what that's about. But many scholars think that the women who gathered on in, the, in the Christian church in Corinth in the first century that had head coverings, many of them think that was the symbol that showed that they were married, that they're not available for, for, for someone to take out the taco tree after the service. They're, they're, they're not free. They're married. It, it, it would be the equivalent of, 
of the wedding ring, right? If, if you um, are sitting, uh, if you're a, a young woman and you're sitting at a bar um, and you're wearing a head covering and, and, and you're sitting at that bar on a Friday or Saturday night, what is that head covering going to communicate to those around you? It's not going to, let's assume in the first century it communicated that you're married. It's not going to communicate that to the people around you sitting at the bar. They're probably going to think, this is a person from some kind of religious cult or some kind of freaky thing. Are you tracking with me here this morning? Oh, so so the, 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 if that's, if the head covering in 1 Corinthians 11 is actually referring to women who are married, then, then that's how that would be applied. That, that mar- married women, when they're out in, in public or in the gathering, they should be known as, as married women. They're, they're not available. I probably said more than I needed to uh, on that. So foot washing, head coverings, holy kisses, these are all things that are cultural, and there is truth and an essence behind them that's important, but we don't need to follow these things with a wooden sort of, wood, wooden sort of literalism. John Piper writes this. He says, I encourage all of you guys to fist bump with a holy fist bump. Take the culturally appropriate means of showing brotherhood or sisterhood or camaraderie and affection and make them holy. That word holy is important. We greet each other. If you've spent all day in the world with temptations and with people who have different worldviews and in fact, worldviews that are contrary to yours and antagonistic to yours, boy, that greeting becomes really important when we see each other. Whatever it is, whether it's verbal, whether it's a fist bump or what, whatever it is. One other example of this, um, this physical form that is not at the essence of what the scripture is saying for us 2,000 years removed from it would be 1 Timothy 2.8, where it says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. Now, I'm putting this passage up here not to say that we shouldn't lift up our hands when we're praying, but I'm saying the essence here, what's really important here is not whether you lift your hands when you're praying or how high that you lift them or whether it's here or whether it's here or whether it's like this. The, the essence here in this passage is that we are praying without anger, or without disputing and with unity. Whether we have our hands or how high they are, that is not the emphasis. That is not the priority. So God prioritizes prayer. He prioritizes mutual love in our greetings, in our community. He doesn't prioritize these forms. Last thing on this, uh, D.A. Carson writes this. He says, there is no theology of kissing. He's talking about in the New Testament. There is a theology of mutual love and commute and committed fellowship among the members of the church. So I'm putting this up here to say, as we're reading our Bibles, we should ask ourselves the question, does, is there a theology in the New Testament of this? Is there a theology? Do we have chapters and verses speaking about how high our hands should be? No. Do we, do we have chapters and verses about what the kissing should be like? No, that is not the central point. There is a central point of love and being committed and greeting each other, especially as the Thessalonians, like us, were in a, a worldly culture that was opposed to the gospel message. And so when you greet one another, uh, do it with, with joy and with enthusiasm in whatever way is appropriate. All right, back to our text, and we'll finish up here. Just a couple things to say, and and we're going to be done. Verse 27 says, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. 
to all the brothers. Have this read. God prioritizes, number four, the public reading of Scripture. This is actually number three because number, number three was negative. So this is the third of four priorities. So the fourth priority is about the Word of God. The Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write this. And he says at the end of his letter, I charge you. This is a very formal way to speak. To have this letter read to all the brothers. Now, likely what's going on in verse 27 is Paul has probably been using someone else to write out the book of 1 Thessalonians. He's been probably dictating it to a secretary or an amanuensis. And probably what happened here in verse 27 is he's taken that, that pen, that quill, and he's saying, he's authenticating the letter and saying, I charge you. This is, even though he doesn't say here specifically, this is my handwriting. This very well may have been in his handwriting, verse 27. And, and this authenticates it. And I want this entire thing to be read before the church. And it's just so incredible to think that, that this letter made it from Corinth to Thessalonica. And there was a small congregation probably about this size, maybe smaller, in a home, in a large home. And someone stood up and read 1 Thessalonians. They read it in Greek to people that probably many of them were not very literate. They wouldn't maybe be able to even read this, but they understood what Paul was saying orally because many people were illiterate probably in the church. And it has been read not only in the church in Thessalonica some 2,000 years ago, but it has been read for the last 2,000 years in church history in our homes and in gatherings like this, in worship services. The scripture is to be read. It predates the church as they read the scripture aloud in the synagogues. And we continue to do this today as Jim did reading the scriptures. So God prioritizes the public reading of scripture. And then last thing today, Today, the fourth priority of the five points, one of them being negative, the fourth priority is grace. God prioritizes grace. Look at verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul ends 1 Thessalonians where he began in chapter 1 and verse 1, speaking grace to the people. At the very heart of the gospel, at the very heart of Christianity is not a work ethic that you better do the best that you can and maybe you're going to make it. It is the opposite Christianity that God's unconditional love and favor, what we call grace, comes to you by believing that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. And that grace and our works are not ways to attain salvation, but they're expressions of our love for God. So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul finishes where he began, and let's uh, leave it there on the word of grace, this fourth thing that he prioritizes. Let's bow our heads today and ask God to help us to live out these priorities. Father in heaven, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that it is for all time. Lord, even though your word is eternal, which we've already alluded to in this worship service, we still have to do some work to understand exactly how to apply it and to live it out. So I'm praying, Lord, now that we would be people who care for each other and love each other and greet each other in a way that is holy, in a way that strengthens the body as we encourage each other and await your return. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come soon. And we pray in your name. Amen.